welcome to the Asylum. And now, your hosts, Rick Flieger and Rick Briggs. Welcome to the Asylum Fantasy Sports Show, now a proud member of the Full-Time Fantasy Podcast Network. Check out this and countless other great fantasy sports podcasts over at FullTimeFantasy.com, at FullTimeFantasy, on the tweeters, and as always, you can follow your boys at the Asylum, AsylumFantasySports.com, at AsylumFootball on Twitter, and of course, the mailbag coming Friday, Rick, AsylumFootball at gmail.com. Get those questions in. You better believe it. It's filling up, and uh, we will answer them all, and some of them will make the show. We are Flieger and Briggs. This is the Asylum Sports Show right here on the Full-Time Fantasy Podcast Network. And, uh, Rick, I tell you what, there's not a thing to talk about in football this week, so we might as well just move on. Yeah, we're going to be scratching for content. Yeah. Wow. But I guess it's just great, number one, to have football back. But so much happened. I mean, just the injury report could be an entire freaking episode. That's terrifying. All the stuff off the field, all the nonsense, just wow, wow, wow. I I don't know where to begin. Well, before we begin, you know, this is, uh, we're recording here. It is 9-11. Do you remember where you were 18 years ago? I was at a rest stop on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. (laughs) Actually, I was heading down to uh, Greensburg, PA, do some work at the courthouse down there. Not to go to court, actually. I uh, used to do title searches down there, and of course, by the time then I got down there, the the courthouse was closed, and uh, back home I went. But what I r- specifically remember about it is I had gotten home at two o'clock that morning from Chicago, so I actually theoretically flew right. on September 11th from Chicago. Had a friend working out there. We went, I believe it was a Braves Cubs series. Wanted to go out and see Wrigley, so I went out and crashed at his place. Watched the game. We got delayed. There was a line of storms that came through Chicago. Got home late that night and whew, woke up to all of that. I can't believe that's 18 years. Does that mean I'm getting old that 18 years ago feels like a week ago? Yeah, exactly. It does. I was at the time... I was, yeah, quote unquote, the, the official title. I was director of golf over a couple of country clubs, and I was actually out walking on uh, the putting green. And my wife called up on the on the cell phone and said that a plane had hit, you know, the the trade center. And um, uh, she was she wasn't working at the time because you know we had little kids, and I said, oh, you know. Boy, that's weird, yeah, you know, that somebody, you know, flew into and must have had, you know, mechanical no, problems yeah, or yeah. this, that, and the other and didn't have a whole lot of details. And she said she was watching on the news and we were actually talking and all of a sudden she goes, Oh my god, another one just hit. You know, and I'm like, Whoa. <laughs> yeah, you know, this is this is yeah, weird. I think that was the collective reaction yeah. of the nation was, Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> all right, this just went from a terrible tragedy to an yeah. oh my god. Right, real quick, just absolutely. It, it's it's weird to look back. I wonder if they'll air it tonight. If they do, I'll find myself watching it again. But I remember, I believe it was last year or the year before. I, I can't remember, but one of the I don't know if it was National Geographic or History Channel or one of them. What they did was rerun the the uh, what's the morning show on NBC? I just lost it. Uh, uh, Good morning, the Today America. Show. Oh, Today Show. Okay. In its entirety, is that happened? Because it happened while they were live right. on the air, and it was so wild to see how different the world is now. The the mass of misinformation that came in. It was every four minutes they're breaking in. Another plane hit this. One hit in Chicago. One hit here. One did this. Yeah. This happened. That happened. And we know now none of that happened. Right, and they knew nothing. And one thing I do remember, you think about how how reliant we are on the cell phones now. I actually remember, you know, I, I was working. I had a company issued cell phone. I couldn't even afford my own cell phone <laughs> back then. I didn't have one, and it didn't work. All the circuits were jammed. Could you imagine that now? <laughs> yeah, if that actually happened. And my my wife was. Uh, we weren't obviously married yet, but she was in school in Pittsburgh at the time, and they evacuated the school, and she lived in a high-rise apartment mm-hmm. building, and they'd evacuated her. Well, she didn't have a car down there, so she's trying to get a hold of me to come pick her up. They closed all the bridges in Pittsburgh. I mean, it was mass chaos, yeah. even here in, in Western PA, just due to the flood of misinformation. Right. And just it, There was so little information available. It, it just How much the world has changed in that short amount of time. 
time. Yeah, and I, I can remember vividly, like you said, it just seemed like it was last week. Yeah, I was in Richmond, Virginia at the time. Of course, that's that I-95 corridor. Oh, yeah. And they were shutting the airspace down around, and, you know, there were reported planes coming here, coming there. You know? And I found myself, I, I can remember vividly, I was on the 10th fairway, and I, and I heard... You, what we ignore all the time, the you know, a jet engine. Man, I was looking up. Yeah, oh, <laughs> it's like, yeah. whoa, you know, how low is that thing? You know, absolutely. And, yeah. But yeah, it was it was a crazy day. Wild, just just craziness. I never never forget it. I, I wish I could, but uh, never right. forget it. And, and you think back, it's kind of like I remember my parents telling me because my my parents are a lot older than you are. No, they remember Pearl Harbor. Oh, okay. You know. Okay. And um I mean I remember Kennedy getting shot. I mean, I was a little kid. But um yeah, they remember Pearl Harbor. My mother uh she is 94 right now and you know, I asked her about it and she says, "Yeah, she goes, I remember she was like 16." Oh, wow. Okay. And um she had three older brothers. And she Says she remembers just breaking down crime because she knew what was going on. Oh, yeah. They're going to war. They're going to war. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, no question about it back then. All right. Well, let's get to football, Rick. If you don't mind, for the first time in a while, I don't want to start this show with AB. I have a bit of a thought on that, but I kind of like to save that for the end. I know, I know. We'll, we'll get that to the end. Let's have a palate cleanser. So, obviously, a new new format to the show this week. Going to have two shows. Obviously, this one on coming out Wednesday night. Another one Friday night. Tonight, we're going to do the headlines. We're going to do some week one takeaways, give out our game balls and stinky socks. If we have time, I have a uh, game prepared. If not, we'll do that at the beginning of uh, Friday's show. And then, of course, Friday starts in six. Starts and sits. Starts and sits for our English-speaking friends. Game predictions and, uh, of course, the mailbags. So uh, let's start out, Rick. Uh, Nick Foles, your boy, out until mid-November with a broken clavicle. I was starting to wonder, even after we did our season predictions, if I had Jacksonville too low at 5-11. and And now I'm thinking I might have had them too high. You know, your boy... uh, Minchu looked real nice in uh, pickup duty, but I think anybody getting a week's worth of tape on him, that's uh, that's going to change. Oh, yeah, no doubt about that, Rick. I mean, look, they they jumped on Jacksonville, but, but Foles took them right down the field and responded with a really nice touchdown pass, actually on, on where he got injured. I think this game really would have been a good game. It may have um, been. Yeah, what a blow to Jacksonville, no doubt about that. I would have loved to see Nick Foles in command of a team for an entire year. Right. Just right. to kind of either reaffirm what a lot of people think of him or, you know, maybe just get rid of that bugaboo. But, um, you know, here we go. And now we have to go into the Minshew slash Dobbs era, which yeah. Jacksonville traded uh, – for Dobbs for Pittsburgh for a fifth round pick, and I, I don't blame them. They needed some quarterback depth because they only had two on the roster right. when Foles went down. Yeah, and I any wonder you're you're probably going to see a bit of a shuffle there. What I'm curious about from that game was that just Kansas City being Kansas City, or is there cause for concern with that Jacksonville defense? It stunned me. Yeah, even the even after what the Chiefs and what Patrick Mahomes did last year, it stunned me the ease at which they went up and down the field against Jacksonville. And and that thing could have been a lot worse, you know, Mahomes trying to do his no look nonsense unnecessarily and missing Travis Kelsey in the end zone a couple of times. You know, if that thing had gone completely by script to Kansas City that thing would have been a lot worse I, that's what you think all right if they could if, if this Minshew kid can actually go out he, he's not the type who's going to put the team on his back and win a game if he can go out there and throw 85 90 percent completion like he did which is far out of this world I grant you but let's say in fantasy land he could do that and then that defense could pick them up and keep them in games and they could steal a couple boy it, I don't. I don't know now. That that performance, even against a great offense, that performance was so bad. It w- it was bad. I'm. I like to put, you know, a lot of weight into opinion over first two or three weeks. Week one is always so bizarre. Well, that's true. It, it really is. But but you have to have concern because it was a horrible 
It was just a horrible performance the whole way around. And when, when you give up that kind of yardage, um, I'm not exactly sure what it is. I'll pull it up right here. But, um, yeah, it's it, it's terrible. I mean, you can't – you just can't – I mean, they had negative fantasy points for crying out oh, loud. Man, I mean, they were – 491 yards, you know, total offense. Which you look back, I mean, Miami gave up 643. The Giants one play. Yeah, the, the Giants gave up 494. I mean, there was it was an extremely volatile week it, it, as far as scoring um, yards allowed. I mean, it was offenses were going up and down the field like like you wouldn't believe. I mean, I just I, I was shocked, quite frankly. Uh, the 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 amount of scoring in week one. Well, we're going to see that when we get to the game balls and socks. Usually, it's kind of a struggle to come up with four or five game balls. There was eighty two guys. I swear, eighty two wide receivers and quarterbacks. I felt like deserved it. Right? How many stat lines? It was like one hundred and forty three yards was the number this week. How many four catches for a hundred and forty yeah. yard and a touchdown stat lines did we see out of receivers this week? Boy, you talk about the league shifting, right? And after Thursday night, you kind of felt like normal, right? The defenses are way ahead of the offenses. Everybody's yeah. out of rhythm. We got to Sunday. That was completely flipped. The offense was way ahead of the defense, and th- that's scary. If the and offenses even, start to click, what the hell is it going to look like in November? And even if you just look at the scores, um, you know, the Cowboys looked like they had a nice, dominating, convincing win over the Giants. They gave up um, 470 yards to the New York Giants. I mean, it was it was crazy. They only gave up 17 points, but you gave up 470 yards. I think this is what the NFL wants. I think this is the league they want. There's no doubt about that. And and fantasy wise, they want it. Um, There's no question about that. But but you know. What are you going to do? I, I hate it, but we'll get into that later. X-rays come back negative on Juju's toe. Look like it looks like he'll be good to go Sunday. Your boy, Rick, your number one receiver coming out of the – or number one running back coming out of the preseason, Tevin Coleman, to miss multiple weeks with a high ankle sprain. <laughs> number one. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's uh, that's a blow to San Francisco and, and a blow to a lot of fantasy teams. If you went with my strategy, you're right. I mean, he was my number two running back. Um, you know, I went wide receiver heavy early. And, um, boy, I tell you what, it's a blow to the squad. Be curious to see, you know, no McKinnon, no Coleman. Can Breida really become that? He almost has to by default. Or is the whole offense going to be Kittle, <laughs> which is sort of what it looked like. You know, with limited success, although in a win against Tampa Bay, but I hate the high ankle sprain. Boy, it's just they always come back too soon. It always lingers. I hate seeing that in week one. I do too. It's terrible, and he's a versatile player, and you know San Francisco's want to get him back in the lineup because, you know, they feel like they're in this thing this year. Right. And – you know that's all what you always fear that they're, they're going to rush the players back, and then they're going to end up getting hurt even longer, and you end up ruining their season, your season, everybody's season. Speaking of ruined seasons, now heading into season two, Darius Geis out multiple weeks with a meniscus injury. Boy, is it too early? Is it an overreaction to put the bust label on Darius Geis? I mean, he had the injuries in college tears the ACL in the preseason last year can't make it through the first game this year you know this isn't a full tear but and it's the other knee it's just you know meniscus happens yeah I get that it's not the end of the world but boy some guys just have that lack of luck I think sometimes starting to get a bad bad feeling oh no doubt and look at Washington Jordan Reed you know, with all the concussions he's had, he's not going to make the season. Now you have Geis the same way, um, McKinnon in San Francisco. A lot of these what-if guys. Yeah, and they all kind of reverted back to to your greatest fear. Your boy Devin Funches on IR after breaking his collarbone. Uh, I, I don't how many ro- – oh, he's probably on a lot of rosters. He probably wasn't in a lot of lineups. Right. But a nice piece for that offense, a nice big rangy type of guy. You saw him make some catches on the sideline in that game before the injury came. So I think a big loss for, for a Jacoby Brissett in the Colts. Well, 
As a as a um, fantasy owner that has quite a few shares, still a believer in Eric Ebron, I look um, as this is a positive for my be. fantasy it, squad. It, it may be getting that sizing because I think week one we saw right that fear. Yeah, we talked about it on the show when Andrew Luck retired. We know Brissett had a kind of a good rapport with your boy Jack Doyle, plus you bring in a guy like Funches, and again, it was one week, but Ebron's numbers kind of reflected that. This right. may bring him back more into the mix. And the thing is, though, um, he actually had more targets than, than Doyle did in the game, and he had a touchdown pass that was, you know, nullified because he was bobbling it. Right. So, I mean, he, he was still targeted around the red zone, and um, that that's very important. I think he is the red zone target, you know, especially between the tight ends. Yeah, and now maybe you take Funchess out with his size, kind of that back pylon guy you might get there. This one crushed me in so many leagues. Joe Mixon day-to-day, low-grade ankle sprain. They don't seem to have a lot of concern about it. Feels like he should be able to go this week, so I just bring it up because he cost me a couple of leagues, and I'm frankly upset with him. And I don't blame you, and quite frankly, I'm very upset with Tyreek Hill. Yeah, that's (laughs) – uh, could have been worse. It, yeah. Is that not the weirdest situation? I watched him walk off the field. That game, they were showing that play on the red zone. And you could tell he was hurt, but it didn't seem like any big deal. And then it was rushed him to the hospital, and he right. was going to stay overnight for observation. And then it's, yeah, no surgery. Four to six weeks, he'll be back. I don't right. know. That, that's a weird deal. It's called, what was it, a sternoclavical joint Yeah, never injury. heard of such a thing. I'm assuming, you know, feeling right here. It's that up you, around the collarbone. Where your collarbone comes into your sternum, apparently there must be some sort of flexible sort of joint there, and that has to be the the injury. And they said that his, you know, his rehab or healing process, whatever you want to call it, starts today, and it's going to be multi-phase. So, I mean, you're either healed or you're not. I guess you. I guess you have to kind of deal with range of motion yeah. and pain and so That's forth. That's what I wonder if that becomes more of a pain tolerance injury than it is a, a limiting, be. you know, a mobility limiting injury. You get the mobility back, but then it becomes a pain tolerance thing at some other point. So so that, that'll be one. Boy, you just wonder. I, I so often believe it sounds like hippie nonsense, and I, I hate saying it. You so believe in karma, and after that tumultuous <laughs> offseason he had, and this kind of oddball thing happens right in week one, you, you hope as a fantasy owner, maybe not as a decent human being, depending on where you fall on what you believe happened <laughs> with Tyreek Hill, but as a fantasy owner, I think you fear, is karma going to keep whacking this guy this year to bring the uh, everything back into alignment? Obviously, I didn't because I've got a lot of shares of Tyreek right, Hill. and Getting him at a discount. And yeah. Fantasy's a business. Right. I, uh, very weird. And then today, Rick, crushing, absolutely crushing to to th- to him specifically after what he's been through the last couple of years. Hunter Henry, yeah. a tibia plateau fracture in his left knee out four to six weeks. I guess Antonio Gates is probably stretching out as we speak. That That's just sad. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, I, I don't know, you – you brought it up before the show, you know. Let let him go in dignity. Yes, just I mean, let him quit, die with dignity. Yeah, please. quit bringing this guy. I mean, he's he's thirty nine years old. He's a tight end, and look, he'll range around out in the flat, and make a few catches. But you know, you don't really need that. Any, you need somebody that can make the plays, right? And I just do. You really want to? to rest your Super Bowl chances on this. I mean, they're already without Melvin Gordon, and they're proving they can run the ball without him. But, you know, Hunter Henry, he's not 39. He's no. not 298 pounds. I mean, <laughs> It's just he, such bad luck. I mean, the yeah. lacerated kidneys, yeah. the torn ACL. Now this. Now this looks to be more short-term th- than those other ones. But, again, you talk about that label. Can this guy stay on the field? And you see the injuries they had coming into the season. Derwin James, you, you got the Melvin Gordon situation. Right. Now you got Henry. You got Mike Williams nicked up. It's just, boy, this team, <clears throat> this is a team I 
I believe, did I not pick them to win the Super Bowl this year or losing the Super Bowl? (laughs) Yes, no, you had them winning the Super Bowl. Is this the Rick Flieger curse? Pathway to Phil Rivers. It was Phil Rivers' time. Yeah, and boy, you just wonder. And they're such a good team, and and they're so fun to watch. But, uh, hey, Hunter Henry, I think he's a big part of that. So hopefully he can get this thing rehabbed and get back. So let's get into it. Boy, that's a lot of injuries, Rick. Let's just get into some of your general takeaways from week one. There's so many. We could do hours and hours just on this. I had a hard time paring this down. Yeah, I did too. But I I just went with – I had probably about eight or nine written down. Then I just kind of – like you said, pared it down to what I thought was most significant. I hope we're not exactly identical, but yeah, the first takeaway, the Steelers' high hopes are confined to the locker room right now as far as I'm concerned. I, I saw Bill Belichick and Tom Brady studying faxes, dry erase boards, <laughs> and so forth on the sideline. Well, Mike Tomlin and Big Ben are on their, on their sideline basically staring off into space all the while, the Patriots are the ones ahead by 30 right. points. And, you know, there's no solid game plan, absolutely no adjustments throughout the game, and the execution was abysmal. I mean, you know, they're, they're trying to make solid contact runners, you know, like James Conner, Jalen Samuels, into Le'Veon Bell. It, it's ridiculous. They're, they're throwing six-yard deep pitch outs to these guys, and – you know, you have third and one, fourth and one, and you're pitching back six or seven yards. Out of the shotgun. Out, out of the shotgun. I mean, they seem to think that they're a finesse running team. They're not. They should be north and south, straight ahead. And you know what? After we went through the prediction show last week, the Patriots are my new favorite to take it oh, all again. Good, good Lord. Yeah, it, it, it's unbelievable. And we'll talk about how Antonio Brown does or does not impact that later. That, that was the first thing I found myself screaming at the television watching that game on Sunday night as a Steeler fan and as a football fan. This is the problem with Mike Tomlin in terms of game preparation and adjustments in-game. You go back to that when they won. The Steelers beat the Patriots in December at Heinz Field. James Conner's out, and that weird little sidecar pitch counterplay worked a few times in that game. Right, that uh, Mike Tomlin apparently said that was the key. That's Eureka, the key. that's going to do it. You go out and you run it three or four times with both Connor and Jalen Samuels. It doesn't work, and that fool kept doing it. Absolutely kept doing it to the point where then you are down three possessions. First possession of the third quarter, you got the ball fourth and goal inside the one. You have so little faith in your game plan and specifically the running plays that you kick a field goal. Right there, I'm sorry, I've been a Mike Tomlin defender. That is a fireable offense right there. It's gutless. You're playing scared. You have no plan. You have no clue what to do. You have the ball down inside the five with James Conner, who is a north and south runner. I've watched him play in high school. I watched him play in college. I've watched him play in the NFL. He gets out in space. He can make people miss. But what James Conner can do is put his shoulder down and get you a yard out of three attempts to get it. Just foolishness. The inability to adjust within game, counter to your point, to what Bill Belichick's doing, He's up 30 in rewriting a game plan just to completely embarrass you further later on. It j- just pathetic. Absol- absolutely pathetic. I- it, it really is. There's, there's no question about that. And <laughs> that, I, That's just pathetic. That is. And, and I was just thinking this morning, uh, d- driving to work, and like basically anybody that knows anything about boxing, I mean, it, it's it's really – out there that Muhammad Ali is the greatest heavyweight ever, right? Okay. I can accept that. Okay. Which means he doesn't get beat very often, correct? Right. Okay. So this, this was kind of just rolling through my head. And, and There's a way, lots of room for it to roll. Yeah, on a way to kind of explain w- my point. Okay, Joe Frazier, always a solid boxer, right? He was one, one and two against Ali, right? Didn't beat him, you know, only one out of three times, right? right? Okay. If you tie Joe Frazier's right hand to his to his right leg, he's never going to beat him, right? <laughs> right. 
James Washington was out of the game most of the game. We have Ryan Switzer. What is everybody in there? Figner and Rod getting six, with him. six catches for what seven yards? Yeah. Running around in the backfield, you blow on him, he falls over. All right, Dante Moncrief couldn't catch a cold. Oh, he he, he would have been benched after that second drop. Absolutely, and. The leading receiver, bringing up your point back in December, when they beat him, who was the leading receiver on Pittsburgh? James Washington. Right. Why isn't he in the football game? Why wasn't there a game plan to go north and south and to to, um, use Washington and Juju, you know, to, to their best capabilities? No. They have Ryan Switzer in there running around and pitching backwards to James Conner. It... I agree. It, it, it's fireable. It is ridiculous to see. What, what is that definition of insanity? Yeah. Is doing the same thing over and over and fa- with the same result or right. something of yeah. that nature? And doing and it over a, and over again, expecting a different result. Yeah, and that's exactly what they were doing that entire game. Well, and this is what's frustrating. And I think we've seen this in Tomlin's entire tenure, which also covers most of Tom Brady's tenure. Well, not even most of it. <laughs> well before Mike Tomlin came around. But here's what you see when the Patriots play the Steelers. Is I think what Mike Tomlin tries to do is try to mirror what the Patriots are doing for, for whatever reason, right? If you think about it, kind of exotic, weird running plays out of weird formations. Who does that work for? That works for the Patriots. The Steelers are trying to do it. You bring up Ryan Switzer. The similarities end here. They thought he was going to turn into Wes Welker. They thought he was going to be Julian Edelman. And the only similarities they have is they're both kind of small, they're both white, and they both play out of the slot. Other than that, they have no – but you can see it was like the Patriots game plan, only very poorly executed with less talent. It's (laughs) it's unbelievable. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. It's early for that, but we're going to – I, we're we're going to give the Steelers a, you st- a you stinky it. sog on that one. All right, my first one. Oh, there's so many here. Let's go. I'll tell you what. I wondered what it would look like. It's only one week, but Todd Gurley is definitely having his workload managed. And if I'm a Todd Gurley owner, I'm a little bit nervous about it. 15 touches versus 11 for Malcolm Brown. Now, in those 15 touches, 97 rush yards, he did have one catch. But Brown, 53 yards, and here's what scares me, two touches. He's getting the goal line carries. Todd Gurley was off the field an awful lot. I don't know if this increases as the year goes on, but that high ceiling of Todd Gurley two and three years ago, that appears to be gone, man. They, uh, it really they, does. You hear we're going to manage. How many guys do we hear they're going to be managed every offseason? We panic and we talk about it for a whole episode, and then they come out and it looks like what happened with Christian McCaffrey right in week one. This is our best player. This is going to get us the win. Boy, Sean McVay, man, Todd Gurley's being managed, and he's being managed pretty strictly if you look at that snap count. Yeah, and, you know, I, I don't have any problem with that. And, and, of course, Malcolm Brown was successful on the goal line. I, it just it surprises me in week one, not so much that they managed Todd Gurley's workload with Malcolm Brown, but, like, they yanked him away from the goal line. Right. I mean, you would think Todd Gurley would be – your go-to guy yeah, in the red zone. Yeah, maybe after golf, this guy's the face of your organization, and he's probably more recognizable even than Jared Goff. If you're managing him completely down to almost nothing, those two touchdowns, those might have been the two carries I would have given Todd Gurley. Right. I think you'd want him in the end zone. So, but it's a I don't know. It must be analytics, the genius of McVeigh. I guess. And if it keeps working, I don't think he's going to go away from it to satiate Todd Gurley and certainly fantasy owners. No, I don't I, think Sean McVay cares about your fantasy team either. I don't think I frankly, so. Andy Reid doesn't, and I don't think Sean McVay does either. Shame on the both of them <laughs> exactly. as far as I'm concerned. I agree, but I think you're absolutely right. <sighs> okay, another takeaway I had was, um, you know what? The Cardinals showed a lot of fight while the Lions showed us they're the Lions. Let's face it. You know, Kyler Murray showed poise. Kingsbury has his team buying into him. Period. I mean, you could just tell that the way they played, and I really think that that tie could be as meaningful to them as anything at this point. 
Are they any threat to the division or anything? No. no not not now. But this team, I mean, they're they're playing hard. And, and Kyler Murray showed a lot of poise. And I tell you what, good news for fantasy owners, him and Larry Fitzgerald seem to have really uh, built up a rapport. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's start with the Lions because this is the one I had jotted down, so I'll just tag on to yours with this. The Detroit Lions – Along with the Tampa Bay. I noticed when, okay, I know, me, me and you have known each other a long time, and, and when we talk, you know, like you, you'll say, um, yeah, I don't know, I flew out to Vegas and the plane, you know, we had a catchover flight in Detroit. Not when you're talking about the line, it's the Detroit Lions. Detroit Lions. <laughs> so the Detroit Lions, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I'm going to leave in the Cleveland Browns, are still the most sorry, no-account, worthless franchises in professional sports. Year after year after year, no matter what you do. You've, you've got Matt Stafford out there. He has that game won. You have this rookie quarterback shut down for over three quarters. This thing is over, and you're bumbling around calling stupid timeouts. <laughs> All of a sudden, you can't play a lick of defense, and this kid is Tom Brady. Brady and Terry Bradshaw's love child in in a matter of minutes. They ought to be relegated like they do in soccer. It is ridiculous. It is absolutely pathetic. They had that game one. Stafford showing out, doing his thing. You got Kenny Galladay. You got Marvin Jones still going. You're giving C.J. Anderson 75% of the workload running the football. Your defense just decides they're going to take the fourth quarter off. You still survive it. You have one play, you get the first down, and some idiot on the sideline called a timeout for God knows what reason. Pathetic. Awful. We'll get into the Browns. We'll get into the Bucks a little bit later on. And I, I have to tag on to that. Too. You know what was so annoying to me in that game? And I know it shouldn't be, but it annoyed the hell out of me. They're playing in Arizona in September. And Matt Patricia's limping around with that stupid crutch with a jacket on. He's trying to look like a bum like Bill Belichick. But it wasn't cold. It was in Arizona, and you've got a jacket on the AC on. It was a bit nippy. You'd think that ridiculous, smelly beard would keep him warm, but apparently not. It's just. I show a lot of respect. Just a pathetic, pathetic. Organization in city. I'm going to take the whole city down. It is give them to Canada. They're right there against Canada, aren't they? Just give it to. Nah, them. it's I'd, close that, enough. Therefore, well, you have to give the whole state away. Fair enough. Jim Harbaugh in Michigan annoys me too. Well, so that's a good. Take point. the whole damn thing. <laughs> and the Tigers suck. Yeah. <laughs> Melvin Gordon, Rick, definitely overplayed his hand. You look at what Austin Eckler did. You look at what Justin Jackson did. In very limited carries, six carries, 57 yards, three total touchdowns for Eckler. This is a good thing for the Chargers because unless one of these guys goes down, I think Melvin Gordon has already realized I have no leverage here. So these guys are two guys are going to do what they're going to do, and then Melvin Gordon's going to have no choice but to show up in Week Nine and say, "All right, well, why would they budge? I'm going to come in. I'm going to get that last year of service time." So you have these two doing what they're doing, and then a fresh Melvin Gordon coming in mid year because Melvin Gordon, you might as well not even charge that phone because ain't nobody calling, brother. They don't need you. No, and and I'll tell you, a nice stat that really stuck out with Austin Eckler. This is the Basically, the number one running back in the Chargers right now. Six catches, 96 yards, and two touchdowns on top of the other rushing touchdown. And, look, you're not going to have that every week. But, yeah, Rivers said, we, you know, I like who we got. Yeah. And um, there's no doubt that, that they do. And They're, I'll tell you what, we'd have to go back and look. I just feel like I know it wasn't every week, but how many times it was. Didn't it feel like Eckler, even last year in that number two role, had that one long catch? Every single yeah. week. Well, he produced, and yeah, now were, he's still doing it. Plus, he's right. getting other work and getting goal line work. These not, not three touchdowns isn't going to happen every week. No. But but twenty twenty five fantasy points every week. I think he's a write it down, forget about it. Twenty to twenty five point guy oh, every week now. Then no doubt, must start. And look, he had what four hundred yards rushing, I think, last right. year or, or whatever it was. He had a lot of yards. I'd have to pull it up. 
but he averaged almost, uh, what is it, yeah, 12 for 58, about five yards a pop, you know, in, in the limited rushes that he had. Six catches for 96 yards. There's what? You're over a buck 50 yeah. in total yards. And it just feels like he's going <laughs> to yeah. have that 20 to 30 yard touchdown catch. Every week, it's just – I know it's not true, but it felt like even watching the red zone you, last season, every week this happened. And you can't put <laughs> – look, they took a blow with Hunter Henry, no question about that, but you still can't put eight in a box to stop Eckler. Because then Keenan Allen and, and Mike Williams and, and the rest of that crew is going to destroy you. Well, Phil Rivers will pick out a part. And this Hunter Henry going down is actually a benefit to Eckler. I, I, I saw a stat earlier. I believe it was when Henry went out last year, you saw an over 50% target share rise in the running back position. So this is what Phil Rivers is going to do to go overcome Hunter Henry. You're going to see Eckler running more patterns, getting more in the passing game. So now – now you factor in the PPR where he's you know up in Christian McCaffrey double digit reception right. land in, and then we might be talking about the guy who when Melvin Gordon shows up they don't even activate him because Eckler's become LT all of a sudden. Exactly. I mean, if he's getting that type of target share, it could happen. Yeah. All right. Uh, my my last takeaway that I put down because of, of time constraints. You know, I really wasn't as concerned that the Bears lost to Green Bay. But really, what really concerned me was Mitch Trubisky, Trubisky not being able to find open receivers. Oh, my God. Not recognizing defenses, not making any adjustments. And basically, I had the feeling overall that he was just out of his element in that whole game. He looked completely lost. And you saw, <clears throat> I think, the step he took from the rookie year to last year. And you really felt like this was going to be the year that he took that next step. But that's the big thing, his inability. How many times was Allen Robinson standing 15 yards downfield and a direct sight line to Trubisky eating a sandwich and yeah. waiting, and that idiot's flopping around in the backfield? I, I don't know what. If, if he could have saw and spotted um, Allen Robinson – Every time he was open, he'd had 230 yards receiving. It was unbelievable. And I don't know if that's something that gets fixed. Look, if he's overthrowing, if he's if his timing's a little right. off, that's not playing in the preseason. The inability to look up field is something I don't know that gets any better. I, it's a guy. Was it the, I don't know. Was it the, the bright lights against Aaron Rodgers Maybe. on the opening day? But that wasn't I, exactly I the 85 Bears defense he was playing against. No. Now, his offensive line was pathetic. So I don't, maybe there, you can attribute some of it that he got jittery. Right. He, even going back to college, kind of his first inclination is to get outside the pocket and make something. It, maybe that was it, but I don't know. Boy, that, that one looks like one that's going to stick. And Tariq Cohen, not a single carry. You're, yeah, you're lining him up in the catches. slot? I, I don't hate it. But they really didn't establish a run game. Well, no, no. And I don't know. I, I'm I'm – the jury's out right now a little bit on the Bears. I, I'm kind of hoping they solidify their game plan a little bit and make it. It's supposed to be such a yeah, explosive, yeah, dynamic, yeah, creative offense. offense. Yeah, it was just pathetic. Yeah, just it really a, was just awful. All right, last one for me. We don't have to spend a lot of time on this rig, but I, I believe we said it here. I know we talked about it if we didn't say it on the air. Contrary to what a lot of people felt. T.Y. Hilton and Marlon Mack are going to be just fine without Andrew Luck. Eight catches, 87 yards, two touches for T.Y., 25 carries, a buck 74 and a touch for Marlon Mack. That was probably the high end of their each of their ceilings, but Jacoby Brissett's fine. Well, let's face it, 174 yards rushing is about the ceiling for just about anybody, well, yeah, really. I yeah, mean, that's, that's a heck of a game. But there's that one long run you, you expect from a guy like Marlon Mack. They're going to be just fine. And if you drafted late after that Andrew Luck retirement, and I know we did in several, and I have a lot of both of these guys, you got yourself a nice little discount there. No doubt about that. All right, Rick, let's do it. It's time, finally, after months and months and months. Game ball goes to... Game balls and stinky socks for week one. Well, I mean, we just we just covered my first game ball, and I'm going with Marlon Mack. That was just um, just a great performance. 174 yards rushing plus a touchdown, 
And, um, you know, the only thing that concerns me a little bit is is they don't use him at all in the passing game, or at least they didn't this game. And it doesn't look like they plan to. And so, I mean, you're basically predicated on, on a big rushing day from him. But I tell you what, he, he hit the holes good. He ran hard. He was shifty. He would hit you if there was contact. And, I mean, he just – he looked very good. And like you said, I think they're just going to be just fine. Yeah, and I think – I'll tag on it. There's so many big numbers. I'm going to kind of steer away from them. Those are so obvious. The guy that jumped off the screen at me – Every time I saw him on Sunday was Dalvin Cook. This kid looks healthy. Oh, yeah. He looks ready. It just felt like he was in the open 111 yards, two touchdowns. It, he looked completely unstoppable. And it, it looked like 1957 with that offense they were running. It was unbelievable. I'm a little nervous as a Thielen in a dig zone. Or, you know, I, I don't think that's every week. That's obviously some type of game plan thing. But it does appear he's healthy. He's ready to roll, and that offense is going to run through Dalvin Cook. and Just, just huge old uh, game, ball goes to. game ball to Dalvin Cook. Just, just tremendous. He, he just looked good to pass the eye test. I agree. And, uh, you know, you know me, I'm not going to stay positive all the time. Oh, yeah. yes, You're going right, too. So I'm going my a stinky sock, and, and I, I want to get it out of here. I, I want to get it to uh, – all the shenanigans, you know, calling out Daniel Jones and so forth in the preseason and so forth. Baker Mayfield, you know, if you're going to mouth off, back it up a little bit. That was horrendous. <laughs> Just pathetic. Uh, 25 of 38. He had 285 yards, you know, one touchdown, three picks, a quarterback rating of 24.8 as Tennessee destroyed them. I, that that whole team, it, that, that whole city. You know, actually, I might want to give them a game ball just for living up to expectation. But all that hype in the offseason and the entire city of Cleveland walking around with their chest puffed out, and it's finally our time. And they booed that team off the field at halftime before this thing was even a blowout. It just – the balloon deflated that quick. <laughs> and it's, it, it, it's what it is, right? Yeah, Baker Mayfield smelling himself a little bit. They got completely away from everything they did at the end of last year that made them successful. Running the ball, lots in play action. Oh, no, now we got Odell Beckham. Now we got everything. We're going to spread everything out. And Baker Mayfield all of a sudden is Joe Montana. Good, 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 good. You you deserve it. You know, for so long I was actually, even as a Steeler fan, feeling bad for the city of Cleveland and, and wanting that team to be good and wanting that rivalry back. But they just think they went out and bought themselves back. Back into relevance, and you saw, and then those those troglodytes that run down to that stupid stadium on that stupid lake every week just <laughs> gave up on them. Eighteen minutes into the season, I love it. Good for them. I agree. Cleveland Brown, I was passionate about that. That was fun. All right, I'm gonna give a game ball, Rick. Uh, where am I gonna go? No, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna give a stinky sock. That's what I'm gonna. That a boy. How about your boy carry on Johnson up there in Detroit? Detroit Lions, as you say. I say 49 rush yards, two catches, split carries completely with C.J. Anderson. That's what I don't even know if I give a stinky song. I just kind of give him that because it was an underwhelming performance it's to more of talk a stinky, about that. It's more of a stinky sock to all – the pundits out there, that, the fantasy that, industry, that were putting Karrion Johnson as a top ten running back, fantasy wise, when little old us kept saying no, you know, temper your expectations because that's not what Detroit. Since does. Barry Sanders left, they haven't done this. Yeah, they don't do this. He's not an every down back, and of course we're stupid. But I'm telling you. Yeah, this is good. Well, both can be true. I mean, we're well, pretty stupid. Okay, we are but, stupid. But we were right on that one. <laughs> right. But I think this is going to be RBBC. I don't think they got, you know, C.J. Anderson just to sit there. Obviously, they didn't no. in week one. So, yeah, I, I hate to pin it all on Johnson. I'm going to do right. it just to bring it up. So, carry on, you stay. All right. I think, let's see, I guess I better get positive. Uh, do I have to? Maybe you don't have to do anything. But I will. Yeah, Christian McCaffrey. It's so obvious, right? 
I mean, 200 and, what, nine total yards, three touchdowns, 10 catches for 81, 128 yards rushing. Just magnificent. I mean, the, the guy, yeah, just like Delvin Cook. I mean, this offense is running through them. Are you nervous about usage? Of course. For Christian McCaffrey. But I'm not taking the game ball away from that performance. Well, no, no. No, you give him the game ball, but as – as him being the the primary for me in the caveman league, which of course is the most important league to me. Exactly. I watched him at the end of that game. Even though he's still making plays, they kept showing him on the sidelines. Now, I grant it was probably 185 degrees down on that field. He flat looked like he was going to die. He was wore out completely. Right. Well, I don't know if he can do that 16 times. No, and, and that's the thing. That is the difference. Now, if they both stay healthy – that's the difference between him and Dalvin Cook because Minnesota has the weapons in Thielen, in Diggs, uh, and you know the ability of Kirk Cousins to rack up some numbers. They can go away from that. And I know I'm going to catch it. Be, oh, well, they got Cam Newton and, and, and Samuel and blah, blah, blah. That's not what they do. No. I mean, look, I mean – you know, Greg Olson's already hurting, well, you know, after week one with his back. Shocker. Yeah, stunner there. But, in you know, not taking anything away from him, but he really wasn't that involved in the game plan. I think he had like four catches. But, you know, Cam Newton, I don't even – I'd have to pull the stats up, but he was, what, 100 and some yards passing? Right, yeah. I was, mean, there's – back. Couldn't throw the deep ball. No. And I tell you what, I mean, it's going to run through – McCaffrey till he runs out of gas, and then we'll see what happens. And that—that's just what I worry about. And sticking on that, I was gonna in the in the same vein as I did with Carry On Johnson, gonna give a stinky sock to Curtis Sanimal. San, Sanimal, good Cur- Lord. Curtis Animal, Curtis Animal. <laughs> I think that's rather to. Boy, if, if this show isn't proof that any a-hole can buy a microphone and have a show, good Lord, I just said Curtis Saminal. But anyhow, Curtis Samuel, who again, so I think I'm going to give the stinky sock, well, or if I push the right button, to, to the fantasy community at large who have smugly for the entire summer told us how great Samuel's going to be. Three catches, 32 yards. One game, not, not a panic. But here's the problem. DJ Moore, seven catches for 76 yards. You put those together, that's 10 catches for right around 100 yards. Right. That's all that's available, in my opinion. And we said this in the offseason, and it, it's only week one, but so far I'm be, we're, we're being held as right here. That's the share of the offense that is available to the wide receivers, to those two guys. Next next week it could all go to Samuel, right? He could have seven for a buck twenty, and DJ Moore could have one for eighteen. But this is the share that is available in this offense after Cam Newton, after Christian McCaffrey, assuming Greg Olson can stay healthy and get out there and play. After that that three group of three who is the primary in that offense this is what's left for those two guys so for everybody out there screaming on one side or the other that this is going to be the breakout year for one of these guys from a talent standpoint you draft nicks you may be you may be right maybe both of these guys are the next jerry rice it ain't going to happen in this offense 10 carry 10 catches for 100 yards is all that's available for these guys and good luck picking the week and which one to start and when to do it i agree and um yeah, you know, I was wrong. Um, Cam Shocker. Newton, Cam Newton had 239 yards passing. But, you know, to your point, 100, 100 yards and, and some change between those two guys. And, right. I mean, that's that's just, all it's going to be. That's exactly what it's going to be. And, you know, um, Cam Newton is just I, – I, I think that man has just taken too much punishment. I, I there's just I he doesn't unless he starts cutting loose with the deep ball. Right. Starting basically this week uh to prove that that his that shoulder is okay. I'm not so sure that they're that he's even capable of it any longer. You wonder. I mean, it's been going on a while. He's been nicked up. You know, he he has all these weapons around him, and that offense just didn't look any different. 
that that's kind of what stands out to me. It was a fine performance from Cam Newton. It sure. was just okay. But you know, you keep thinking, where's that next step going to be? We put, you know, we you've got McCaffrey now. You've got your say, you know, your blanky back and Greg Olson. We give you these two great guys on the outside, and the offense is exactly the same. I think this is who Cam Newton is, and they'll win. Seven to ten games based on what Christian McCaffrey does, based on what he can do with his legs, and maybe you you said it already, hitting one of those deep balls per game could be the difference in winning a game, but they're not going to take that next step, regardless of who else you bring in around him to an elite, high-level, high-octane offense. I just don't think that's who Cam Newton is. I agree. I don't think it's who he was coming in, to be honest with you. I don't know where this expectation came from. It kind of looks like the Auburn offense. It kind of looks like the offense that took him to the Super Bowl when they got crushed, and it's just kind of held steady from there. This is who he is and who they are. I agree. And he can't – he's just not capable of carrying a team with his legs any longer. Right. And Yeah, you can only do it so long in this league. Right. And not a knock on him, but your body can only take so much punishment, and I think that's where we're at with him, quite frankly. I want to give one more, Rick. Game ball goes to – Got to talk about. I can't believe we haven't done it yet. What Sammy Watkins did nine, a buck fifty eight, and three touchdowns. Here's the only reason this is worth bringing up. Now with Tyreek Hill out, this could be a pretty steady stat line for Sammy Watkins each and every week. You know, you kind of think it was an anomaly. You know, next week it'll be Travis Kelsey getting this. I only had he had what three for eighty eight. I think kind of a quiet day for Kelsey. You know, Tyreek Hill, even before the injury, was be, was basically it was a, the Sammy Watkins show, and you thought next week it could be Hill, the week after that it could be Kelsey. Now Hill's gone. Good good luck with the other wide receiver, Hart. I mean, yeah, this, Sammy Watkins is the number one receiver on the best offensive team in the National Football League. While Tyreek Hill's out, if Watkins can stay healthy, because that's been an issue for him over the years, if he can stay healthy, look out. We got a brand new top three wide receiver in the NFL for right now. Well, and that's the thing if he can stay healthy, um, you know, time will tell on that. But yeah, you're right. I mean, this is a dynamic offense. And the, the problem is is one of these other guys is going to have to emerge because his his two catches for 24 yards still made Tyreek Hill the second most productive receiver on that team, <laughs> and he went out, what, in the first quarter? Right. And, uh, look, yeah, he, he they really struck lightning with those nine catches, 198 yards and three touches. But you know what? Sammy Watkins isn't going to take him by surprise every week. And somebody else is going to have to pick up the slack somewhere in the wide receiver position. Which one it is, I'm not sure yet. Yeah, it may be different every week. You know, quite frankly, you know, could could Hardman be that guy? You know, could you see it from a DeAnthony Thomas? I, you know, I, I really don't know. But I think Sammy Watkins, you know, after Kelsey, is going to be the clear number one while he's out. This type of number, but I tell you what. Not likely, but it would never surprise me if he did this, being in that offense. It's just almost by default. It almost doesn't matter. The only person that could go out there and screw it up would be Dante Moncrief because he can't catch the football, apparently. But anybody else who's a competent, professional wide receiver – Look out. All right. I agree. I'm going to just one more. Oh, well, you do it. Real quick because I I don't know. We just have to. If I have to find right. the button there. We is. got seven minutes left. So you go nuts. Dante Moncrief <laughs> drops, drops, and more drops, and there's no excuse for it. So that, that's all I want to say. And it's just being weak on the ball. That's yeah. what's frustrating. You have the ball in your hands. You're not secure. You're letting it come into your body. This is things I'd expect from a rookie. And not I heard, from a- I heard a a very poignant point on on another radio show. They were talking. They had Arthur Motes in. He used to play for the Steelers. And one thing that struck him about Dante Moncrief coming to Pittsburgh, and of course, you know they had the hype of him and Ben with the chemistry and right. blah blah blah. And he made the point that, you know, usually when you have a franchise quarterback, 
and you have a wide receiver that the quarterback really loves, they ain't getting rid of him. Well, exactly. For that. And I think that's why he was still on the field after all of these drops because him and Ben became boys. I was actually but yelling po- that at the but TV. But my on point Sunday. is the point he was making and driving home was you didn't hear Andrew Luck screaming to keep him. True. Okay. Now that's the point. All right. Yeah. And, you know, this overhype about, oh, him and Ben are tight and they got this. this you know, that chemistry don't last long when you ain't catching nothing, no, pal. he keeps and, dropping the football, and maybe that chemistry goes it, away because Ben will call you out. Well, and the thing <laughs> is, uh, some of that needs to go to Ben, too, because, you know, he kept going to him. Right. And he kept dropping he kept him. And, yeah. yeah, exactly. So, you know, that that game was, was an abysmal failure. But that, that was another point that I thought was quite interesting that uh, Arthur Moser brought up that I never really thought about right. that. You know, like Andrew Locke, you know, okay, get out of yeah, here. Let him, fine. Let him go. Yeah. <laughs> let him go. All right, the elephant in the room, Rick Antonio Brown, real quick. Yeah. I just I, I want to yell about this a little bit. In my opinion, the way thing forget even what happened this week, and we'll get into that in a minute. The way that went down over last weekend in my opinion, is the single greatest embarrassment the NFL has had in a long time, and they have had some big embarrassments. To allow this thing to happen, to allow Drew Rosenhaus to orchestrate this whole thing, and believe me, anybody saying, there's so many people saying, especially in Pittsburgh, all these dumb yinzers, you know, the Antonio Brown had this plan all along. He's the not Patriots, that smart. The Patriots tried to trade for him, the Steelers wouldn't deal, so he went out to Oakland and he behaved this way and he knew he'd get cut and then he had this plan. No, shut up. He is not. Now, Drew Rosenhaus. Believe me, there was a conversation. It'll never be proven. There was conversations between the New England Patriots and Drew Rosenhaus at least for a week before this happened, right? Knowing it was probably coming to this and knowing that Antonio Brown had a soft place to land. But he caused this by his behavior, and then Rosenhaus pulls this Houdini act at the end. But in my opinion, Rick, I think the biggest culprit in all of this is the NFLPA. Now, I've never, you know, I, I know you got to tread lightly on this with a lot of people. I've never been a union guy. You've had union jobs, right, before. Oh, yeah. So, in my, the union does, you know, a, a lot of things, you know, advocating for the player, pay, benefits, you know, ensuring the job, help, helping them keep their job. Where is the NFLPA when one of your members, one of your most prominent members is spinning completely out of control, right. and they're completely silent. If if the Patriots now we got these rape allegations. Now look, I don't know if this happened. The, the, yeah, I'm torn between. I'm tired of you know the the thought now that if there's a rape accusation, it has to be believed, and now the, right. the burden of proof falls on the accused. It's completely against what we believe. Truthfully, the timing of it's a little suspect. <laughs> you think? There's a lot of problems with it. That being said, with his behavior in the last 16 months, 18 months, oh, yeah. Antonio Brown has lost the benefit of the doubt. Sure, everybody's going, <laughs> yay, finally. Right. You know, sure. He has completely lost the benefit of the doubt. Where is it even the place? I feel like the NFLPA needs to step in here and say, all right, this guy's got a problem. He is spinning completely out of control. You've got everything that happened in Oakland, everything that happened at the end of the year with the Steelers. He's throwing shit out. Whoops, I just swore. Throwing stuff out, out of windows. You know, of hotels like he's freaking Motley Crew. Right. Everybody who's ever done any work for him in Pittsburgh is now suing him. Chefs, personal trainers, contractors that have done work for this man, and he hasn't paid any of them. It's lawyers and everybody. He is spinning completely out of control, and the only time you hear from the union is when they're going to file a grievance to try to get more money out of it. Isn't there some culpability as an advocate for this player to step in and say, it may... What is going on here? Somebody's got to stop him. He's spinning out. There's a problem here. Well, sure, it's a problem here. And and one of the problems is the term you're using is union. This thing is no more union than what me and you have here. Well, that could be. It's a player's association, yes. But it's not a union. A union, you would say, okay, in a union... You know, players are, okay, we have whatever, 
quarterbacks come in. Starting quarterbacks have a minimum salary. Right. As veterans go, you know, through seniority, you have step increases and maybe bonuses built in for championships, et cetera. But you don't have somebody in a union, you don't have one position making $18 million while another guy makes 500000 Right, okay. It's just simple as that. I mean, so, I mean, no, it's not a true union. But getting back to your point, yeah, where are the advocates? I mean, this this guy is spiraling out of control. Completely, completely. And nobody cares. Let's let's face it, nobody cares. Um, And... Look, maybe there's nothing you can do legally because the way things are with mental health issues and so forth, if they don't want help, you can't help them. Right. I mean, you can't force anything. However, there is no hard line being taken on this schmuck because he's a talent. He brings money. He can win us games. That's all all that matters. And, and, you know – it's the same thing, I guess, in, in fantasy. You have these people saying, well, I would never draft Tyreek Hill. I would because yeah. he could win you a football it's game true. It's true. in fantasy. But this is real life. This yeah. is a real business. This is, and, and whether it's the league, whether it's the, the, the teams individually, the – you know the the union, which the NFLPA, which is where my head went. Just when you see this happening, I don't, and maybe it has. I don't recall. Look, you've had some divas. You've had you've had some crazy guys running around out there. I don't think I've ever seen a spiral to this degree in this short amount of time. If you think about everything that happened just in the last two weeks, and again, this rape thing, I don't want to get into it. It's such a a mess, but I I, I will pound the table and say he has lost the benefit of the doubt here. He really has, and with everything else, does that all point to rape? No, but what it does do is we have such a pattern of erratic behavior and erratic beyond comprehension there's a problem here. Somebody has got to step in and say, all right, you're going to have to take a step back. We as the NFL, we as the individual teams in the NFL, if the overall organization can't do it, we as the NFLPA, somebody, we are going to stop you from taking another hit until we figure out just what in the hell is going on with you. What is happening here? Right. Is it just going to happen again? And I know everybody thinks he's going to go up there and, you know, Bill Belichick, and we've seen it happen with lots of guys. He's going to straighten him. He'll be on the straight narrow for a year. I don't buy it with this dude. I, I don't buy it. Anybody saying that with the whole thing this whole summer was an act orchestrated right. by Antonio Brown and Drew Rosenhaus. No, look, no. they orchestrated the end of this thing getting to New England, but all that stuff that happened before it, I'm sorry. No, I, I don't buy it. This, this dude is losing it completely. And it's so many small things, just the not paying people, trashing exactly. hotel rooms, all these little things. That are are set aside, throw away funny things. One, you know, in in a vacuum, you start putting it cum- cumulatively together, and then this latest rape allegation, and you say, "All right, th- th- so much is wrong with it." But <laughs> would you be surprised? Would you really be surprised? I I don't know. It's just it, it's bothering me. I don't know why I'm feeling almost sympathy for Antonio Brown now, but it's really, really been stuck in my craw. So you yeah. know, one thing we got to do before we get out of here, Rick, and we are out of time. Being that we're doing a prediction show on Friday night, we have got to pick Thursday night football right here. Yes, we do, as a matter of fact. So, I mean, uh, so we have got the Tampa Bay Bucks, your favorite team, the team of your youth, plus seven at Carolina, who we just beat with a stick for 15 minutes not too long ago. Exactly. And I, look, this is a division game, and, you know, I, th- I think it's going to be a competitive one. I have Carolina on top, but. I'm going to take Carolina straight up, 28-24, which means I'm going to take Tampa Bay plus the seven. Yeah, I, I we, we're almost in lockstep on that one. Look, these Thursday night games always tend to be weird, and I think very often the dogs win these things outright. 
Tampa Bay going on the road. I think if Tampa was at home, even as bad as they looked, I'd be inclined to take Tampa. But I'm going to take Carolina here, but this is going to be a close game. Seven points is a lot to give on this short turnaround and the way these these Thursday night games go. So I've got Carolina 23, Tampa Bay 20. I think it's going to be ugly again. <laughs> I really right. do. A lot of McCaffrey. I think Mike Evans bounces back. I I buy. And it's funny how it went, you know, all day leading up, you know, temper your expectations on Mike Evans. He's been sick all week. You know, he, he's dragging it out there, but he's going to get it. And then by halftime of that game, it's Mike Evans was fine. It's just his career's over. Cut him. Drain oh, yeah. him. <laughs> so right. what, what happened? The guy's got pneumonia or whatever he had. He had a hundred and whatever degree fever. It was 182 degrees in that stadium by halftime because he was hurting your fantasy team because you still started him. Well, right. you got to go. Cut him. Yeah, exactly. All right. We got anything else, or can we get the heck out of here? Well, I got one quick little story here, because we always have to have a nice little story or a fun fact. Let's have uh, it. Safety Harbor, Florida. Safety Florida. God bless Florida. Authorities say a burglar broke into a Florida home, cooked himself an early morning meal, and told a resident there to go back to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) The home's occupant told investigators he awoke to discover the man cooking and eating sometime after 4 p.m. or 4 a.m. Tuesday. Um, they said that uh, the burglar ran from the house when the resident called 911, and uh, they tracked him down in a uh, wooded and swampy area behind the home. He's a 19-year-old Marine. He allegedly entered the home through an unlocked rear door. He said he may may have been under the influence of alcohol. <laughs> may, may, I had a, <laughs> he was hungry, man. I had a few Chardonnays. <laughs> what of it? Yeah. I guess the, the important question there is, what was he making for breakfast? Maybe, maybe if it was good. You, yeah, they didn't say, but um, yeah, I'd be apparently a, he didn't. You know, what really pissed the guy off, I'm sure, is he didn't offer him any. Well, yeah. He just told him to go back to bed. Yeah, so. yeah. That, you that was low. You at least got to make enough for <laughs> right. the residents if you hope not to get bludgeoned with a stick and have the police call. So. <laughs> exactly. All right, let's get out of here. Thanks so much for joining us. We will be back Friday. Game or Not game balls and stinky socks. We did that. No, predictions. Starts and sits, game predictions, and the mailbag, and maybe a little treat if we can work it in, in a little bit. Of, for Are you for real, if you guys remember that there from we last go. year? We'll do that. Check out everything at Fulltime Fantasy, fulltimefantasy.com, at Fulltime Fantasy on Twitter, and, of course, asylumfootball at gmail.com, at Asylum Football on Twitter if you want to be part of the mailbag. Until next time, we'll see you. Take care.